Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share their insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Kay Minglani is with us today on the Second in Command podcast, and Kay is the co-founder of Mind Valley. He's also a serial entrepreneur and an experienced CEO who's demonstrated track record of starting and running multi-million dollar companies in IT, SaaS, educational technology, and the learning space. He's extremely skilled in strategy, negotiation, fundraising, growth hacking, and marketing strategy. I would also call him a level five leader who is kind of behind the scenes and focused on the internal operations where he has a co-founder and CEO um, of a company that we've all heard of that is kind of very outward facing in the face of the brand. So, Kay, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for having me over. Um, everybody calls me Kay. My real name is Shitaj. Um, that's what happens when you have Indian parents, but uh, <laughs> everybody calls me Kay and that's, that's perfect. All right. So well, I'll call you Kay. I'll try Shitaj as well, but I think I'll stick with Kay. It's going to be easier <laughs> for me. Sure, um, sure. So, so Kay, how did, tell first off, I mean, I've heard of Mind Valley, and, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of it as well, but just tell us what Mind Valley is and how you've kind of branched off and grown over the years. Um, I know that you're based right now in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia as well, so you're calling in at midnight for this, and thank you for that. But give mm-hmm. us a little bit of a background as to Mind Valley so that we understand it as well. Mindvalley is sort of um, playing to create the, the largest company on planet Earth in the, in the field of education and personal growth. And what we are trying to do is create the curriculum for the next humanity or next generation of humanity. Um, so what we intend to do is, is write that curriculum that will help or upskill the, the future workforce or upskill the kind of human beings we're, we're going to see in 2025 or 2050 and so on, so, so on and so forth. So constantly we talk about the human mind, the human mind evolution, talk about digital transformation, how that's going to change, change the nature of the work, et cetera, et cetera. So it, at the core of the company, Cameron, we're trying to be a massive data company revolving around human emotion, human mind, human evolution from a personal transformational space. Wow, amazing. Okay, so that's, that's a lot deeper than I think a lot of people see on the surface as well. Um, all right, so how, when did you guys get started? How did you and, um, and Vision, the, this, your co-founder, how did you guys connect and kind of give us some of the lifeline of the company? I think the company has been in existence for a while. If you just Google search it and find the legal, legal, legal time when the company was registered, but the, but the actual business is probably about five to six years old. And um, we were earlier selling meditation courses online, and that's how we started. Uh, but I think the whole 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 course probably changed in 2012, 2013, when we, when we realized that the kind of people, we teach right now about 10 million people every year. And back then, we were teaching only a few, few hundred thousand. And I think when your customers start um, to see value in what you offer, and then they, they sort of shape the vision, and that's how we pretty much started as well. Um, selling meditation courses and then going on from personal transformation to to health to diet to um, human mind to leadership and we expanded and expanded. But our goal was that we we probably want to be anti-choice. Um, if we were to build a school for human humanity 2.0, we can't offer them five authors or five teachers in, in the same space. It's our duty, our job to go out pluck the best and say we've stu- we've done the homework for you guys and we think this is you should be learning learning from and these other principles you should be adapting in your life 
Got it. Okay. So it sounds like you really did listen to your customer then. I mean, you guys had created the, um, the event years ago that I heard of Awesomeness Fest. Is that still a part of the brand or was that kind of as you were emerging from that mindfulness and meditation space and into it? Oh, that is, that is very much part of the brand, but now we, now we've um, evolved quite a bit. We, <laughs> we, run, we run come something called Mind Valley University where over a thousand people get, get together for a period of 30 days with us. Um, along with their families. Yes, that's 30 days um, they spend with us in a, in a different remote city. Um, last year, we did that in Estonia. And going back to what you were saying is, yes, I think for, for us, customer and handholding a customer through, through the journey is very important. So most of the teams in Mind Valley are non-traditional, which means you would see customer success in typical companies or customer support. And there are different versions of uh, that title that, that floats around like chief happiness officer. We don't have those titles because we think um, companies and human users and human beings have evolved. So we have um, something called a success manager or, or a tribe success manager or a community success manager. So they, their job is to handhold a single user through, through their transformational journey. And then there are accountable partners and then the tribe sort of becomes sticky because they find these connections that they, that they crave. And I think the number one thing that human beings crave for is, is human connection in any which way. So you guys have gone with non-traditional titles in the organization. Do you have a traditional org chart still? Um, I think we did, that thing evolves every now and then because, because the company uh, and the nature keep changes. We are actually in a hyper growth phase. Um, this Q1 to last Q1, we grew 140%. Um, right. And, and so when you are changing at that, that kind of pace, um, any org structure that you put together is not going to be relevant the next one. <laughs> but, we give, but we give people the freedom to move around and, um, and, and change with the, with the organization because I think that's very, very important because ultimately they will one day leave you and build their own career. So you got to let them have that freedom to be able to build their career in the best possible fashion. It's interesting. So, so you guys have actually done, I think, a pretty extraordinary job at corralling and and attracting gen y to work with you and you work in multiple countries multiple cities um how many total employees approximately do you have now just so we can understand the scope of that as well cameron we have about 300 employees that work for us and they come from 54 different countries um we now have offices across the us across estonia across kuala lumpur and we are fully bootstrapped so it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I actually met um, a couple of your, your people, one, one guy named Jason, who was um, working out of Vancouver at one point, but I think he's now over in KL with you as well. looks like he's, he's moonlighting as a fitness model. <laughs> he's in unbelievable <laughs> shape. Yeah, um, that's, and then that's, I, met, I met another guy at a TED, a TED conference over here, Amir, I think, who was part of Mindvalley mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. study or Mindvalley, where was he? In the Arabic mm-hmm. Area. Yeah, he started Mandali Arabic for us. Very, very yeah. sharp, brilliant, brilliant author. Uh, wrote the book on Islam. Yeah, you guys have- yeah, most people at the company live and breathe transformation, which means, yeah. as we, as as they say, we eat eat your own dog food. So we we actually try and uh, be guinea pigs to what we put out to the audience. And there was a time when 150 of us were running the Spartan race together. Um, <laughs> at any given time, a, a third of the company is, is either on one or the other programs, either on Wildfit, so their coffee conversations or water cooler conversations are around um, diet or they're making green smoothies or they're talking about how do we avoid sugar consumption or they're talking about fitness or, or how do you keep up the core strength, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's, that's what we try and live. 
Well, and, and this, I think, is, is key to understand your growth. I, I've always believed that, you know, and, it, and it's become a popular phrase, but culture trumps strategy and culture eats strategy for breakfast. I've always said culture is critical. And I, I've always said it's, it's more important to build slightly more than a business and slightly less than a religion, you know, in that mm-hmm. zone of a cult. And <laughs> yeah. you, guys, you guys have done an unbelievable job at that. And um, I think if you were if you were based in North America with 300 employees, we would all know of you as a household word in the normal business media. What are mm-hmm. you doing? What, what's working in the culture side? How are you attracting all these amazing people? How do you align them? Like uh, this should be an MBA at, at Harvard. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I just finished my 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 B school, so not that I learned anything from it because I was <laughs> studying. Doubtful. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I mean, you take human connections and that's pretty much it. But um, I think what's working for us is a couple of things. One is a really strong, strong vision alignment with most people's most people who actually apply for a job at our place. Um, our career career page does not talk traditional job descriptions. It talks values and what's expected of you and what are you likely to learn and what are you likely to contribute. And that attracts a very different kind of kind of kind of uh, audience. And I think we make the recruitment process designer in a way where a person is either filling up an online application and putting up a video out there, then goes through a bunch of interviews where a whole series of uh, strategic interviews are placed in 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 picture so that we get to evaluate the person the best possible way. Is the person aligned with the vision? Is he a culture fit? Is he likely to contribute and take back uh, and give back at the same time? Um, how likely is he to grow within the company and outside the company? So I think that's what is working for us. And, and that, that in nutshell results in growth because everybody's aligned. They are big time into personal growth. They are aligned with the vision. Um, politics take a complete backseat. And, and that creates a very healthy uh, atmosphere in the company that you want to come to work every single day. Okay. You just said something that I think is really intriguing to me. And that was that politics take a complete backseat. Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean, I, I understand what you mean by that. How do you foster that? Is it just by hiring people that aren't political or because once you get past around a hundred employees, that's when politics tend to creep into a company. Mm-hmm. How, how are you avoiding that? I actually think it's, it's also the way um, most teams, most teams run, which is every team in the company, Cameron is driven around an OKR, you know, and that's a concept from Google and, and, um, Doria started the concept as well, and we see several versions of that concept evolve, right? But an OKR essentially is is a is a high objective, which which is a, a version of of BHAG, but we allow for a fifty percent failure rate, which means if you're not failing fifty percent at at the OKR that you set, you must be doing something wrong, or you've set an easy target which anybody could do any which ways. So I think that it starts from there, and and then it trickles down to several strategic meetings and not overburdening an employer or team with the meeting. So everybody gets their space to contribute and figure out and learn how could they achieve their OKR. Let's take an example. Wow. We set an OKR to enter government schools and, and um, companies at the same time, which was completely new for us. And we, we set this OKR about a year ago. And today, we, in about a year's time, we've done a massive program with Finland. We've done we've been in live with several large companies, including Intel, PwC, Google. And just this morning, we did a, a massive training with 700 of Malaysian government employees who are ultimately going to be taking manually programs and are going to be on our digital mentoring program. So 
I think once you set an OKR, the team figures out a way to achieve it, and that creates a very healthy competition. So if you have a viewpoint, a better viewpoint to achieve that OKR, you win. If I do, I win. But the idea is the team as a collective, as a whole unit, goes out and achieves that OKR. That's amazing. And I love the whole, like, you're okay with, not only are you okay with failure, but you're actually kind of encouraging it. Does that, is that because you're just encouraging people to stretch more? No, I think it it also relieves the pressure um, in a, in a silly way that, look, we are not, if we set our target, let's go, we're going to do a hundred million this year. That's not going to happen. Let's be realistic. Who the hell are we kidding? Right. Right. But, but it it also tells you, figures out a way, Hey, if we were to do a hundred million, what would we do differently? And that dialogue shift is very important. And, and that's why this year probably will end up with a 55, 60% year-on-year growth uh, as a whole, which a company our size, it's, it's very hard, hard to see in most companies because you're, a, we are bootstrapped. So we are literally reliant on um, looking at gross margin percentages, looking at free cash flow very carefully and actually churning that back in, back in, back in, back in. So the yeah. investment becomes really, really important as well. Sorry, did you say investment becomes, becomes important? reinvestment of the cash that you're making right. uh, becomes really important. So if, if let's say you set an OKR, which is, which is really, really difficult out there and, and you're going to figure out the best way to get there because the cash is very dear to you, um, you're not sitting on piles of VC money that you can blow an experiment and, hey, hey, oops, I spent 10 million and burnt an R&D that didn't go anywhere. You don't have that luxury. So, so you, you pick your battles carefully. Yeah, I know. When, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, please go ahead. No, I, I was thinking when, when we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we went six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth, which was, wow. which was super fast, um, yep. but also really, really hard to manage that growth. When you, you know, we went from 14 employees to 3,000 employees in six years. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're, but you're starting that same trajectory or in the middle of that trajectory. And the one thing that we encountered was it's very hard for the mid-level people mm-hmm. to go through either two doubles in revenue or doubles in size or to go through one triple. How do you how do you help grow people and keep people? I know that you said you're okay with losing people and letting them go off and do their own thing at some point, but how do you how do you continue to grow your people, grow their skill set and their capacity as the company is is changing so rapidly? Like the company today is extremely different than it was two years ago. I might say a few things that might sound really silly, but I think has worked at least in my teams and other companies that I've run. Is I I actually run the company looking outward. So I'm assuming that somebody in the next door, especially you're in Southeast Asia, so everybody's working on a different tech problem in any which place. So I assume that the person sitting next door is already building something similar, right? And we watch competition um, really, really carefully. So we always always have an outward approach to, to running the company. And that's what we instill in every single employee, which means if you are running the tech team or mobile team, you're probably reviewing the apps every single day. You're constantly learning. Right. And we've never stopped an employee from going out there and, and participating in external forums. In fact, you, you a, a while ago, you mentioned Amir as an example. He's a perfect example, had the will to go back to his own country and say enough is enough. I'm going to start mindfully here and change people's health and, and their mindset. And he did so, came out and gave a bunch of TED Talks and wrote a book about it. Right. And few yep. of the employees got together and started our Estonia office. Right. A few of the employees uh, took on a tech challenge organized a 24-hour hackathon, pulled in, pulled in teams from Google and created a solution that now powers our, our AI part of it or our, our uh, corporate, corporate learning part of it. So we think that environment is very, very addictive and very, uh, it, it spreads in a different way. Uh, and I think when, you, when, when personal growth is an overarching theme, Cameron, 
everybody wants to evolve uh, and actually look at their rate of self-evolution any which way that we work. Yeah, so it's all self-driven learning then as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, you talked about alignment with vision. So you and, and um, Vision were the co-founders of Mindvalley years ago together. Vision How- actually started it. I joined him a, a, a bunch of year la- years later. So Vision okay. is actually the founder. Okay. So then, so how, how do you and he stay on the same page um, would be question number one. And question number two, you're also quite entrepreneurial as I was as a COO or second in command co-founder. Um, how do you get aligned with, with his vision? How does he get aligned with your vision? How do you, you kind of stay in sync with plans? How do you guys stay as that two in a box? Because as you mentioned to me offline, you're very kind of inward facing in the company, um, and Vision uh, is really kind of the outward face of the company. How do you guys do such an amazing job at staying completely aligned like you are? Yeah, I think two, three things there, Cameron. Number one is we complement each other's skill sets, so that's very important. So we don't <clears throat> we don't cr- over overpower each other's discussions, especially when we know it's not our forte. So we we stick to our territory. Let's say his territory is marketing, mine is business. Huh. So we sort of have created our own play field. Which, which is existent in his mind and my mind as well. So that, that, that play field and that distinction is very important. Second is a concept of UDA, which means we're always in constant UDA, UDA loop, which means at the end of the day, we would send each other a voice note or a, or a WhatsApp text, um, just sharing either what happened or making quick, quick bullet point decisions. So because we have done that for many years, it now is now a second nature to us. So... Number one is we don't interrupt each other's play field. We, we stick to our, our, our genius zone and pass the ball to the other person when required. And second is constant UDA loop, which means we are constantly sharing text um, at the end of the day or early morning. And we have those constant touch points, even if both of us are traveling. Okay. So how do you spell that? UDA? Is it UDA or I don't think it is? O-O-D-A. O-O-D-A. O-O-D-A? Yeah, it's uh, actually a concept from from the army army guys, and, and that's how they started it. If you study the history of it, it's actually pretty fascinating. Okay, and and so so walk us through this again. So UDA is just constantly updating each other on your successes or making decisions. Is it just staying in sync? What does it mean? UDA is like a cycle. UDA basically means observe, orient, decide, and act. Right? Ah. And, yeah. So which basically means we are constantly observing what's happening in the company. Let's say I look at revenue almost every single hour. So I'm a numbers guy. I'm a finance guy. And and he's a marketing guy. So he's also looking at what's converting, what's not converting. And and we are always deciding um, in a very crisp, clear manner, which means we'll, even if the decision is not, is not going to make us cash in the short term, we are totally fine by it. Uh. Right. And so we've, we've constantly figured out that, that loop between us and certain things will, will go unsaid because after, after following that trend for such a long time, right. some of the things are always assumed. Yeah. That's, that's part of your secret sauce for sure. I mean, we, I've, I've heard of the military, or I think is the Air Force uses an acronym or it's plan, brief, execute, debrief. Mm-hmm. Very, um, similar. Very, very similar. So observe, orient, uh, decide, decide and act. And act. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. Um, all right. So tell us about some of the early, early decision points or the early insights. It sounds like you really listened to your customers um, mm-hmm. and your tribe on where they wanted you to pivot. Is that right? 
It is, it is. It is actually a very deep, deep part of it. But is there a second part to that question, Cameron? Yeah, so what, what was it that they were saying? And then how did the transition happen from going from that mindfulness meditation, which is actually when I first heard about you and I was like, God, I wish I could align with them, but they're just so not in my space. And then all of a sudden I'm looking around, I'm going, God, you're exactly in my space. It was, it's, it's like the brand was so strong and you pivoted so perfectly. So, so what did you hear? What were you listening to? And then how did it go making those pivots? I'd love to learn some of the lessons from that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big question. I wish we had a cup of coffee in an hour to chat about it. But um, I do. I got one. <laughs> it's it's mine. <laughs> if I have one, I'm not going to sleep for sure. So um, no, but I think I think a few things that come come naturally, and we are no way by no means perfect at it. I mean, we've we've had our fair shares of failure. Rather, rather we failed gloriously at times. Um, in fact, I'll give you an example of when we did not listen to a customer. We actually um, launched an app uh, a couple of years ago by the name Omvana. And yeah. that was the first, first meditation app. And the only competitor at the time we had was Headspace. And the market kept telling to us, you guys should be on a subscription business model. Uh, that's the future. We were, we were like, why would somebody pay $10 when they could just meditate to a song or a track and just pay $2 to us? So we just stayed away from it. We did not listen to market at all. Oh, wow. And, and we had, at, at, a, at a time, we, had, we were number one app in 37 countries. And a month later, we were, we were gone. Right? And, and 2015 was a, was, was a time when plethora of meditations app came by. And obviously, we, we didn't pivot, pivot early. So that's a classic example of, of not listening to the market and customer. And now we're trying to revive that and rebuild that app. And in fact, in 20 days, we'll launch it again. But we don't know. I think we've missed the wind any which ways. But um, So that's one, one lesson that we learned. And uh, second is, is uh, while you're listening to the customers, don't make delusional business decisions, which means don't go out and start giving away a ton of ton of free goodies and so nobody converts and so on and so forth. We've made that mistake as well. We, we had an offering um, in the sleep space, uh, which hit number two, we were very popular with Apple, worked closely with them. Uh, but our mistake was we were giving away just way too much. So nobody came on the paid section and never bought anything. Huh. So in, in spite of the fact that we were, we were getting quarter of a million downloads in any given week, um, we were just not listening to the customers, what, what kind of stuff would they pay for, what they would not pay for. Um, and the third mistake we probably made was around um, naming our subscription program on the event side of things. Had we spoken to the, a few customers in a detailed way as to what sort of an experience would they want, as opposed to just deciding for them. Because sometimes, you know, and everybody tries, tries to take this example saying, hey, Steve Jobs used to say, don't listen to the customers or listen to them in a way that that's, you tell them what, what, what you can push and how far you can push the boundaries. So we tried doing that, and I think it... it it was sort of a, a decision that we went back and forth and probably wasted six to eight months um, on the naming and on the pricing and, and the offering and how to structure the offering. So, yeah, I think we try and listen to the customers, but the, but the, in, but the key outside is also look at the market, where it's going. Also look at what's happening in the VC circle, what sort of companies are coming about, what business models are they following. And, and just make a non-delusional decision. I think that's probably the key. So, so in most of the meetings that I'm part of, my idea is to look at the numbers uh, do a bunch of A/B tests and make a non non delusional decision, which uh, which is which probably will stick around. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to go back to this non delusional um, question in a second, but I just wanted to comment on what you were talking about with listening to the customer. 
because <clears throat> you're <clears throat> thank you by the way those are three massive um insights and lessons that you guys learned from from some of the struggles over the over the years which is huge and i i remember umvana that was really when i think i'd tried to figure out a way to even even work with you guys and it was just so completely disconnected but i loved what you were doing and mm-hmm. i was the same i actually remember listening to a few of them and, and thinking they were really good and then all of a sudden it was gone and i was and i think i'm still paying for headspace and i don't use it which is insanity um <laughs> so I learned something years ago and I grew up in Canada and, and, you know, we had celebrated Christmas over here and we had, um, you know, as children, as like five, six year old kids, you would write a letter to Santa Uh (laughs) and you'd write a letter, you know, three weeks before or a month before Christmas, my parents would make us write a letter and I always thought it was really stupid and we had to write a letter and tell them how good we'd been all year and then all of the things, the gifts that we wanted for Christmas. Uh And then we would, we would put the letter in an envelope and our mom would say, okay, I'll mail it on the way to work. Well, they they never mailed that letter on the way to work. They opened they opened the letter up and they looked at all the things we'd written down on the list and they they bought us a couple of those gifts and we're like, whoa, Santa knows exactly what I want. And I think that's kind of like listening to our customers, right? If if we just ask our customers what they want, they'll tell us. And if we, as you said, make don't make those non delusional decisions and give them what they're looking for, they'll they'll pay us for it. Mm-hmm. So, how do you avoid? Oh gosh, I, I want to. How do you avoid the non-delusional decisions and how do you still stretch and grow amazing companies and big brands like you guys are doing? Um, or I guess what's a non-delusional decision versus a non-delusional dream? You know, like is, is, <laughs> is, putting, is putting people on Mars a non-delusional decision or is that just a huge massive BHAG? Yeah. Um, firstly, on, on a light, lighter note, um, when, when you grow up in when you grow up in India, you don't you don't have it's, it's not snowing out there. Neither you you follow, follow Christmas, so you don't write letters to Santa. You just sit in, sit in bed, order a burger, and watch Home Alone, and that's what you, and that's what you do year after year after year. But coming coming back to, uh, to what you were asking, I actually I actually don't know what what a perfect answer is, but. I think when you probably burn a few startups to the ground, um, you probably learn learn from those mistakes and logic sort of takes a trump over sometimes even strategy. And I think um, and I think most entrepreneurs, even I'm I'm pretty sure including you, and you you would end up saying, hey, that's my intuition. My intuition says or my gut says. That's actually not your gut saying or your intuition saying, but but over the years you've had those, you've burnt your fingers a few times to be able to say that's that's the right path, that's the logical path, and that's the wrong path, mm. right? So I, I I don't have a perfect answer. I'm sorry, but I think um, I I I always think in my meeting or always say in the meeting, what is the logical next step, right? What would you do if if money was scarce, or you were running the company, or if you were starting from scratch? Would we make decisions? And, Did you say and if money was if money was scarce? Yes, money was cares. If, yeah. if that's that's the that's the truth because I think business go up and down no matter how successful you are. You could be a GE one day and next day you are breaking the company up and selling it up. So, you guys, you seem to speak a lot, Kay, in in kind of mantras or themes. Do you like like saying things like you know if we had a hundred million dollars, what would we do differently? And if money was scarce, how would we make decisions? Or is that part of your magic as well um, in speaking in those kind of statements? I, I would imagine that you you repeat those things often, and that your employees see those as themes or guidelines. Yeah, I think the the, the senior employees would catch on to it, um, and that's what you want. You don't want that to be a mantra across the organization. 
But as long as your top management and your leadership team or senior managers are involved, um, I'll I'll give you another example. One one question that's one of my favorite questions to ask is if if this was let's say if you're running a project within the company, um, let's say you're launching a subscription product, which is a by which is a sub subset of a company. And if your question that you ask is if this was to live as a standalone company tomorrow, what would it look like, right? Or if this project was to be a standalone company, what would it look like? Wow. And the second question you ask is if somebody on the street gave you $5 million, what are you going to do with it, right? So, so then you are now thinking scale as well as you're thinking startup mentality. So you're thinking both sides of the coin. And that's exactly how at least I, I like to drive projects, which means MVP is, is the key word. You know, you're always thinking, if, can this be a standalone company? Can this be big enough that somebody will give you a $5 million check? And you're always at the back, back of the mind assuming that somebody is somebody next door is already building it. So, so that, you just mentioned MVP, which is the, that acronym of Minimum Viable Product, where they're talking about launch. Um, how, do you, how do you guys protect against um, when we're hiring really smart people and they want to develop perfect, you know, they want the perfect app or the perfect marketing piece and, and perfection just seems to take forever. How do you push or, or what do you do in that sense? Do you, do you have them push for perfect or do you try to get them to go out with the minimum viable everything or? Uh, or well, I think you, we, we always ship by the way, we never, we never move our, 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 I think the first question you always ask is when is the shipping date and when are you going to ship? And that's, that's exactly when you try and ship. And I think that has worked for us and that has also not worked for us because um, some people, yes, you're right, going to their own perfection street and they, they keep iterating on the same email copy or the same web design and keep tweaking the images, but it has it has no impact whatsoever. And that's why we do these small huddles in the group called the, called the revenue task force or you make a health check or a revenue health check and you get to question some of these decisions and and then the employees automatically understand when everybody else is shipping, why am I not? If every other team is making money, why is my product sitting on the shelf? So we try and instill, instill that mentality. I don't know if it's it's good or bad, but I don't, I don't know. But it's, working. Yeah. it's working, it's working. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You, you guys are operating in um, in multiple countries. How many, how many offices do you have and then um, how many of your people are remote and not working from offices? We have about, um, we have an office in, in KL, which is the headquarter. Uh, we have a small office in Miami and another third office in Estonia. Plus we set up these remote studios across the globe when people, uh, as, as they're part of our festival, Mind Valley University, they are literally spending, living with us for 30 days, about a thousand, thousand of our best customers. And then we have these remote, remote setups. So a lot of team go on remote because they have the flexibility to work around. And that's how we, we function. I know it's a, not a unique, perfect way. I mean, it has its own pros and cons. Um, but it is, it is an imperfect solution as of now. Life is not perfect. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. tell us about Mindvalley University. You keep drop, dropping it on me, and I've, I've heard about it a number of times. I know it's over in Europe. Is it in, I think, in Croatia, maybe this June? Mm-hmm. I would, it, it's mindvalley.com forward slash you. Uh, that's probably our biggest, uh, one of our biggest pet projects that we, we decided to run last year, um, actually two years ago. It was started as an experiment. Um, and now every year we want to try and live in a different country, try and gather really smart and tribal teachers um, and, and try and see how we can create. Um, that's your word that you use called the cult tribe or the cult. 
uh, experience, but a, a really loyal fan base um, across the globe, which which competitors cannot replicate. That's a model that you can't replicate. Right. So and where so where are you hosting this year? Well, this year we're actually in Pula, Croatia, from June twenty fourth to July twentieth. June twenty fourth to July twentieth in Croatia. I just sat down with my map of Europe for the summer looking at, I'm going to be over there for five weeks and um, I'm going to start relooking at my map again. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's just like a magnetic pull to go and spend time with all these people. All right. So this, your model, at least the Mind Valley university model is, is really, really strong pull for Gen Y, you know, the, unencumbered, no kids yet, um, can work and live from anywhere. But you said you've got people going over with their families as well. Is that how oh, yeah. are oh, yeah. you more and more of that now where people are living globally and, and traveling more with their kids? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of, we run a parallel massive track for teenagers and uh, we're doing a special track for parents because I think a lot of parents would like um, to learn something that we call conscious parenting, how to be a better parent. And um, that's been the theme, at least for a constant theme that we've been trying to trying to attack in some ways. So that's 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 one area that's really exciting to us. I think if we're talking human curriculum or generation or next generation of curriculum for humanity, we cannot not address that, which is parenting, which is such an essential part of everyone's life. So that's what we are trying to do as well. So two 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 main pillars of Mind Valley today are um, all these events that are happening across the globe and our online learning learning platform called Quest, Q-U-E-S-D. That's a learning format. God, how come you don't have any big goals? <laughs> Those are, they're beautiful. They're amazing stretches. So walk us through some of how you're working with some of your remote teams. Can you um, kind of give us some of those operational insights as to working with some of the, the people that are remote or global? I actually, I used to be rather, I'm, I'm, I'll be lying if I say I still don't feel this, but I think sometimes out of mind, out of sight, um, mm. so I think you should have constant touch with your key employees. Um, otherwise you're always figuring out in a large organization of 300 people. Hey, are you still around? Are you a contractor? Or oh, I thought yeah. you moved out last year. And, <laughs> and that's going to happen. I mean, we can't avoid it. There will be a day when you go to the office and a, a, a bunch of, a batch of 25 new people have joined in and, and a, a week later you can't remember half their names. But, um, I think that's a problem of, of, uh, the attention span that we live in. Second. Um, as you grow bigger and bigger as an organization, you can't control that. But the idea is that your your ch- chain of command in the company is so strong that people don't fall out. And and we think OKR as a model keeps everybody in check. And what we did differently was rather than having a, a company OKR structure, we also added a, di- added a dimension where you should list down your personal OKR as well. So so people go through an exercise with us um, called Lifebook where they list down their life goals. Uh, in in twelve areas of life, so they know that they got to pay attention to their self growth as well. So I think when you are attached to your work and your personal life is one one thing, then they tend to stick around and and the, and the work remote, and the remote working actually works in some way. Is that the life book that uh, John and Missy Bowen are involved with? John and Missy Butcher, yeah, that's correct. Butcher, yeah, Butcher, so yeah. I yeah. just I just had a a piece of art delivered to my home yesterday that John Butcher painted <laughs> um, called Black Star. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that documentary. John has done, and Missy has done some phenomenal work in that. Yeah, uh, it's it's, a, yeah. it's the second time I've had to buy that piece. I bought it, um, <laughs> I bought it three years ago, and then my ex-wife somehow um, 
managed yeah. to to lose it. And uh, mm-hmm. so I just bought it again and it arrived yesterday and I'm excited to hang it. John's wonderful. So interesting. So you bring Lifebook inside the organization as well. It's fantastic. Oh, every, employee, every employee is mandatory to actually go through Lifebook. And really? after that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you join as part of your induction. We take you to a beautiful private uh, private resort on an uh, sorry on an island, and and you get to experience Lifebook with all the new people who joined. And, and that's from, do you do the full five days or three days, or is it a, a shorter version? We do it. Over, we do it over the weekend. Um, and the, and the last one was very special because we actually flew down John and Missy as an authors of the program to actually spend time with twenty five of our top new recruits. And that creates a very different level level of uh, connection with them, and and um, yeah. And then if some of them go remote, the the connections stay on, and then the the remote culture works. It's amazing. No, I was I was speaking with um, Chip Wilson from Lululemon. We were uh, uh-huh. we spent a lot of time together at a few events in the last couple of years, but we were spending time together at the TED conference this year, and. I was speaking with Chip about his early days at Lululemon and he used to make all of his employees do a program called Landmark and they would wow. have to do the two day Landmark forum or two and a half day Landmark forum. And mm-hmm. I was like, God, it's such a kind of a cult thing. And he goes, yeah, it's beautiful. And I'm like, <laughs> right. Like I've actually never met anyone who's done it that I don't like. Um, and it's, it's a yeah. lot of that self and self reflection and introspection and planning. And um, that's gotta be part of your magic then doing life book. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I like how cult is no longer a bad word. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I do too. <laughs> In fact, I, I wish I wish um, Seth Godin, when he wrote his book called Tribes, just called it cult. And because <laughs> it's all I don't know if that many people would have bought the book then, but yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> but it's like we didn't. We don't need to rebrand it. It's pretty darn cool. Um, all right. Yeah. So, so walk us through then. You guys have a really strong leadership team. Um, how does your leadership team stay structured, and how do you guys meet and and keep everyone there on the same page? Oh, we meet we meet every Wednesday for three hours, and that's a structure that actually we borrowed from Apple. To be very honest with you, um, one person is in charge of HR, the second person is in charge of tech, uh, the third person is in charge of revenue, fourth person is in charge of marketing. And we spend three hours talking about everything from hiring, firing, um, company strategy, um, some of the next steps, and as silly things as travel plans. And uh, we we got three hours, so we and we try and try and say this is the most expensive payroll payroll in one room. Um, let's talk about our our areas that we are handling. And and again, that play field that we spoke about a while ago, I think everybody's play field is pretty clear. So my my. Um, my constant quest is no matter what companies I'm part of, the leadership team should have a very different play field, which means every, everybody should have their own genius, genius zone. And if you find overlapping skill set, that's where contradicts happen or that's where if you have two people or three people from, from let's say, tech team being represented at the leadership board, you will always have an overpowering agenda. And that's what you want to, that's what you want to avoid. Yeah, I love this. All right. I, I, I had a client who um, I've been coaching for five years. He's gone from 40 employees up to 700. He just raised 255 million from Warburg Pincus. And he was talking about how bad his meetings were. He's like, meetings suck. I'm like, no, meetings are actually amazing if you know how to run them. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I wrote that book called Meetings Suck for just that purpose. So you know, I, I love that, yeah. You guys are actually doing a really good job with your meetings and meeting rhythms. What is it, what's the mindset shift you've had to get your employees to go through or how do you get them to engage and be excited about these because you're crushing it with them? I think it starts, uh, the day starts with a, with 11.30 morning scrum or a stand-up, yeah. uh, which, which is attended by a, a, like almost, if not more, 35 people and we are able to finish it in 25 minutes. 
where everybody knows what's happening and and who's connecting with whom after after that scrum is over um and and we and one thing that we stopped doing uh, is actually emails um, really yeah i don't i don't think, no, nobody sends each other emails except if you unless you want an approval from finance uh but the that whole culture of emails is completely gone like like it just it just works for us is you are either on slack or you are just having a quick five minute catch up with somebody and you don't have to call call everybody into a room yeah i've i've been trying to show people there's a a simple sentence it's a six word sentence i didn't say you were beautiful and if, <laughs> if you read if you read that six word sentence and put the emphasis on the first word it means something different than the second third fourth like yeah. put the emphasis yeah. right each word makes the sentence completely different Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of miscommunication and frustration and conflict that happened because of Slack and because of email that I think you guys are again, killing it with that face-to-face -face communication. Mm -hmm. So and, yeah, Go ahead. But, but you're all Gen Y, like your, your entire company for the, well, I guess most companies are Gen Y anyway, but your company, how do you, how do you push Gen Y towards this face-to-face -face video communication with each other? Um, or is that just part of the adoption? You just hire people who already engage that way. I think it's also to do with office design. Like we have um, closed spaces, open spaces, and I think the whole open work culture sort of places is getting noisier and noisier. So we have uh, we've designed the office in a way. If, if you just Google Mindbelly office space pictures, you would understand. And we've done a couple of posts about it as well. That you should have an environment where people can come out and, and quickly gather for a quick five-minute huddle or a 25-minute scrum and then go back into their workspaces in cubicles or or we've designed it in a way where they have their own private space to to focus and to work. So so coming out of that shell, shell in, in a way is very uh, cathartic and people and teams actually look forward to it. So it has to it has a lot to do with office design. It has a lot to do with the, the way we use Slack. Mm. Uh, it has a lot to do with the morning huddle, which already clears half the doubts. Mm. And and strategic handpicked meetings sprinkled across the week. So everybody knows if it's Wednesday, what three meetings are happening. If it's a Tuesday, what two meetings are happening. Like Tuesdays are focused on tech and the rest everybody else is gone, which means you get to have a focused focused Tuesday. And, and tech is strategizing on Tuesday. And marketing catches up only for, for an hour and an entire week. So and that and you gotta have less meetings for sure, but more strategic meetings. Yeah, and those meetings are all baked in as part of your rhythms then. Yeah, yeah. And if all something right. is in R and D, we call it a genius storm, G storm. And you call for a G storm, which means if you are calling for a G storm, you have made a conscious decision to pull in the strategic people. You're gonna wrap that up in forty five minutes and you would have had very well prepared for that meeting. So okay. yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time because I know it's about one o'clock in the morning there. I could be asking you questions for six days. So I think I'll just have to fly over and spend time. No, next time I'm going to, I'm going to pour a glass of whiskey before I start speaking. Yeah, to you. please. Exactly. <laughs> I will too. Shit. Um, and, and I love KL. I've, I've spent a bunch of time over in KL. I've got some friends over there that I used to coach from the entrepreneurs organization. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is the biggest maker of cookies in uh, Malaysia. Um, wow. CK, CK Tan, great guy. But anyway, the um, so two final questions. One is is um, what have you worked on in terms of your skill set to scale and to continue to stay not relevant, but what are you working on in your skills? I know you said you just finished doing your MBA or your business um, degree. What kind of stuff were you focusing on? Ah, that's um, I actually go into things that um, that I've been doing for a few years. So let's say. Um, Two, I did two specializations. One was running 
companies that are on the verge of bankruptcy, uh, which means cash flow is important and scaling up is important, gross margins are important, and how do you revive a startup or a company? And second was running public listed companies. So I get to experience both the spectrums. And, and, and I stay relevant by either angel investing in a few startups or uh, helping my wife with her business or starting another project on the side. So I do have um, a few investments. I have a project on the side, which actually is, I'm hiring a bunch of people for it and I'm very much engaged with my wife in the way, way she runs her, her business. So those are the three, three, four things that I try and do. But I, I, do, um, I do read Financial Times back to back starting my day and uh, try and see what, what's happening in the startup world. Because I think most of the new, new technologies and new business models are actually, actually right there. You just have to read between the trends. And I think one book I read a while ago was The Blue Ocean Strategy. Mm-hmm. That probably captures a few of these elements as well. Awesome. All right, Kay, last question. If you were to think back to being, you know, 21 years old when you were maybe finishing university or just getting started in your entrepreneurial career, I don't think we listen to our parents very often. You know, (laughs) parents probably try to give us advice. So what advice would you like to have listened to either from yourself, maybe that you know today that you wish you'd known earlier on? What advice advice would you give yourself? I'd say focus on health. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably, probably would be it. Um, yeah, I had those years of, um, yeah, when I was exiting out of my first company, I probably destroyed my health completely. Um, I had picked up, uh, picked up all the bad habits that you could, you could think of. And that was a stressful period. And I think that it takes a while to come out of that. It's not like one day your head health is, health is bad for five years and you will take only a month to recover from it. It takes you five years to recover from it. So I think health is probably what I would listen to a lot more. I wish I had done that. That's huge. All right, Kay Milani the co-founder of Mind Valley Quest and Mind Valley. Thank you so much for sharing with us today and for showing up so late at night. I really, really appreciate all your time and the ideas. My pleasure. My pleasure, Cameron. Happy to be there. Thanks, Kay. Awesome. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.